Hello, everybody. I'm Kevin Witham. Welcome to Season 4 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus prayed for unity so that the world may believe. Our mission is to connect and gather with Christians outside one's family of churches because we believe unity starts by building relationships. We say unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another conversation. Welcome, everybody, to, believe it or not, episode 127 of Common Grounds Unity, where our mission is to bring people together across all streams to demonstrate what unity looks like uh, for a body of believers. And so today we are um, focusing a little bit on Black History Month, and which, you know, should not just be one month out of the year, but we should always be focused on that. And I'm really excited to have two brothers with me today. One is the co-host for today, which is Rudy Haygood. And he serves as a pastor at Reunion Church in Thousand Oaks, California. His brother, um, Fate, and he were guests on episodes 40, 41, and 42. And you guys should go back and check those out. I'll make sure that we get those links to those episodes put in our show notes so it's easy for you just to click on. Those were great episodes. And, and there's a full bio of, of Rudy there. So I also want to say that this is where when you start to build like community across things, then you start seeing how we really are a family. So Rudy is working at a church where dear friends of mine are also working in Thousand Oaks, California. And, you know, as soon as you know that friends of yours are friends with somebody, then it just makes you immediately feel closer. So I love the mission yeah. of Common Grounds Unity and it's demonstrated Absolutely. today on our episode. So Rudy, how are you and how are things in California? I'm doing great, and uh, it never rains in Southern California, even though it's been raining uh, the last. Yeah, it rained week, at Christmas but... <laughs> when I was there, so it does. Uh, rain. It's all good, and uh, doing great. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I do got to make sure uh, I make a, a, a clarification. I am the executive pastor at Reunion Church. I don't want our buddy Mark to say I was on here trying to act like I was the lead pastor. I'm I the executive think... pastor, <laughs> um, and I got to give a shout out to Hope International. Yeah university my alma mater where i get the professor and so go royals and uh excited to be here with my big brother uh dr jerry taylor why don't you introduce dr taylor for us all right he should be nervous right now but uh i'm, I'm, I'm gonna go easy because I, I don't know who's watching <laughs> but uh um it's gonna be very hard for me um to use uh the appellation dr jerry taylor and it's not out of disrespect it's out of the utmost respect because I have known Jerry since I was 11 or 12 years old. And uh, he has been my big brother for decades now. And uh, I think, uh, Jerry, I met you at, is it called Timothy Hall? Where the preachers yes. used to stay at Southwest Christian College. Yes, that's, and, um, that's uh, <laughs> Yes, Jerry and my, my brother, Fate, um, uh, were there together. And uh, Jerry has just been um, a mentor to me. Um, and so I'm going to make sure I say the things I got to say. So Dr. Jerry Taylor is the founding director um, of the Carl Spain Center of Race Studies and Spiritual Action and the Associate Professor of Bible Missions and Ministry at Abilene Christian University, uh, which uh, are, are you still professoring at ACU or are you kind of in transition 
Well, uh, in transition as of January 3rd of this year, uh, been assigned to work with ACU Dallas. Uh, okay. Was, so that uh, means you got more time to come to LA. That's that's what I heard. Okay. All Absolutely. Right. You, you're correct <laughs> on that. <laughs> he was uh, also a guest on uh, this podcast uh, uh, in the summer on episodes 104 and 105. Uh, with our good friend, Dr. Douglas Foster. So you, you want to go back and check that out. And so, um, and I'm just so proud of you, man. Proud of who you are. Um, you have been um, a source of unity, um, of insight. Um, you have challenged so many of us um, in all of Christendom, um, but in particular in this movement, the restoration movement. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here with you, big bro. And so excited to hear where this goes. Well, I think probably Dr. Taylor could tell some stories on you too, Rudy. So I I think maybe if he should be scared, so should you. (laughs) But but as the elder statesman, he has to show me what being respectful is all about. So he has a responsibility Uh that I don't. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe we'll get him to slip in a story about 11-year-old Rudy. Um, Dr. Taylor, it was so yeah. No pictures. It was so good to have you uh, on the podcast, and and especially with um, Dr. Foster. And when you were on last, we were talking about the bus tour that that you guys were part of. And I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about how that went. What were some highlights? And um, definitely before we close the episode, if there's anything coming up like that that our listeners could. Um, get involved in. I, I would love to share about that too. But how did the how did the event go, and what 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 were you most pleased about, and maybe what were some things that showed you how much more work we have to do? Well, uh, the bus tour went extremely well. Uh, we knew going into it that uh, human beings could not pull off such a feat as that, that we would have to invite divine intervention to uh, do the impossible. Because looking at it from where we were, in my mind, I was like, you know, this is an idea, but I don't know how practical it is. And uh, thank God we had a team of people, Doug Foster and uh, Trites Prince and Curtis King and uh, Colin Packer, um, that surrounded us and, and said that this is doable. And we just started walking by faith. Um, we started in Dallas, Texas, the city where uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. Um, we went from there on our way to Memphis, where Dr. King was assassinated in 1968. But on our way to Memphis, we stopped in Little Rock at the Pleasant Valley Church of Christ and had a big fellowship there. We had saints waiting for the bus to arrive and had a big meal for us. And we had singing and um, some short speeches there uh, in the city um, of the Little Rock Nine. And so uh, we left there, got to Memphis. Um, We had a worship service at the Holmes Road Church of Christ. Uh, which is known for being a multi-racial congregation. Their minister there right now is a young African-American brother. And so we worshiped there. We got up early 
the next morning and we went to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, where the 16th Street bombing happened, where there were uh, four little girls that got killed uh, in that church bombing. And we had a worship service there um, at the Homewood Church of Christ, along with the Roosevelt City Church of Christ, one predominantly black, the other predominantly white. Uh, both churches uh, were very aware of the historic divide that existed between these two churches during the height of the civil rights movement and even prior to that. And so it was the work of the Holy Spirit that was able to work deep down in the hearts of the leaders of both of these congregations to say that um, it is time for us to at least explore uh, what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do in terms of relations across lines of race. And so it was a wonderful uh, time of, of, of worship there in Birmingham. And I failed to mention that we had, we had a full chorus traveling with us, Acapella Alliance. Um, and they were just fantastic. I just tell you, uh, they sung the roof off of the bus Mm. Uh, as we were traveling down the road and we got to the various stops, they would sing. And so they would sing at each stop. And, uh, and so we, we, we worshiped there in Birmingham, got on the bus, uh, stopped in Atlanta, picked up Don McLaughlin. He joined us and we rode on from there to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, where we went to Mother Emanuel, uh, where the Charleston Nine was gunned down. And so we sat there in that sanctuary in silence and heard one of the leaders of that church uh, share with us the history of that church and also the details of that horrific uh, event that happened there. But to be in that sacred space, um, listening to the moans and the groans of the slaves that started that church and then to hear the echoes of what we would sense as being those souls who were taken away so violently. So uh, we had that experience. And we went to the new uh, museum that was uh, open like a month before we arrived, uh, the International Museum of African American History, located right there where the slave ships would come in. Uh, and the slaves were hmm. sold right there on that spot. And so we went into that museum and blacks and whites and our driver was a Hispanic. So he shared in this experience with us. Uh, we went in and people weeping, uh, crying, comforting one another, uh, not resisting what they were seeing, but being horrified by it, but also being educated by it. And um, it was just a moving experience uh, to step back into that uh, deep trench of suffering and sorrow together um, as the descendants of slave masters and the descendants of slaves. And to go to that place and to experience that with an emotional connection that could not have been legislated, or could not have been created by some human effort, but uh, it, it, it unfolded in that context. Then we left there and went to the uh, Charleston uh, Metropolitan Church of Christ and had worship again, uh, where uh, Don McLaughlin and the local minister there, Chadubi, uh, they both preached powerful sermons. 
And so we got back on the bus, rode on to Raleigh, North Carolina. We had another group waiting for us there at Brooks Avenue. Uh, we had fellowship and food and fun and laughter and singing. And then we ended up in Washington, D.C. at the National Museum of African-American History. We toured that same experience. And then we went to the uh, the Capitol grounds where the, uh, uh, res- I mean, not the resurrection, but the insurrection uh, happened there. Um, mm. We brought the resurrection. Uh, yes, they are on Capitol grounds. So, <laughs> yes, so we uh, we didn't curse anybody. We didn't condemn anybody. Uh, we simply stated what we were for, and that is uh, for racial peace and the promotion of a peaceful society in which we all want to continue to experience uh, on these grounds. And uh, that will not happen by people passively observing how bad it is but it's going to have to happen by people who are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit who created this great, big, beautiful world. And and I like to tell people God is still in the process of creating uh, worlds on top of worlds. He didn't retire on the seventh day. He simply rested, but Mm -hmm. he didn't retire. And so he's Mm -hmm. still trying to create um, societies to where people learn to respect each other regardless of their the color of their skin. So uh, we ended at at the Arlington Church of Christ with a worship service. Um, And Sean Casey uh, gave a powerful message uh, as our final speaker on that uh, on that tour. Yeah. Did anyone traveling with you um, like document each stop? Is there some way that people can read about what happened in each place? just seems like such powerful experiences and I I wonder how you all captured it or if there's a way for us to live through you know what you all were able to experience uh yes uh we we did document it and the documentary should be completed hopefully by this weekend that is fantastic so we'll, we'll be uh showing that yep absolutely as a, as a part of uh, Black History Month. That is wonderful. Well, we will definitely promote that. Okay, wonderful. I appreciate that it. That is fantastic. Thank you. I love the uh, uh, the, the statement you made. Uh, he didn't, he rested on the seventh day. He didn't retire. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. Uh, God that's is still right. moving. He's still building. Um, yeah. And so that's, uh, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I want you to switch gears a little bit. Uh, we okay. are, as this podcast is being released, we are sitting right here in uh, Black History Month. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to get your perspective. Um, you have people all over the place on this idea. People like Morgan Freeman saying they don't um, appreciate or desire a Black History Month, that Black history shouldn't be relegated to um, um, 30 days, uh, that Black History Month should be um, something that's um, celebrated at all times and inclusive in all of history. Um, and then you also have the reality that in February, the parades and the celebrations and the events and social media lights up and um, people are made aware of the beauty of um, and the strength of a culture uh, that they don't have that same opportunity throughout the year. Um, and so do you believe that we need a Black History Month? Um, do you believe that this is something that 
is impact, impactful in America and, and necessary. And um, to that question, um, are also, are, even just in, in general, what would you say to those people who say, um, we just need to move on? Why do we need to keep looking back? Why can't we just move forward? So I, I would love to get your uh, perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the Spain Center has the logo of the Sankofa bird um, in the African tradition. That means that you're flying forward while looking backwards. Mm. And so I think I have one day called Memorial Day compared to having a whole month dedicated to black history uh, signifies that we value the gift of memory as much as we value the gift of imagination. Uh, Memory is an endowment that God has given to us not to disown or to despise. Um, He gave us memory not for us to make it our residence, our permanent residence. In other words, we don't camp out there, but we have to go back and visit there in order to receive the inspiration and the wisdom to know how to live and the imagination of creating a future together. Um, I think our national memory should not be despised or relegated to some type of national Alzheimer's. I've never seen a human being saying, I don't want to have my memory anymore. It is the memory that enriches us. It is the memory that enlivens us. It is the memory that instructs us. Um, I would dare not say to myself, Forget the history of Jerry Taylor. But that is how I grow. I got to remember what I have experienced, to know how to uh, live more wisely as I go into the future. That's like driving a car without a rearview mirror. You know, you got to be able to see uh, what is behind you and where you have been in order to appreciate the wideness of the windshield. Mm. Uh, the width of the windshield. And so, and sometimes we need to back up, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, and correct yeah. so that we can move forward, you know, uh, with, 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 with better care. And so I would say Black History Month should be appreciated um, as we appreciate the Hispanic Cultural Month, uh, Awareness Month. Um, that we celebrate with our Jewish brothers and sisters as they remember the horror uh, of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's history should be valued uh, because it does not belong to us, to any particular group. I mean, that's why we have July 4th and Memorial Day. As a nation, we remember, we recall. And we appreciate the people that have lived uh, before us and the sacrifices that they've made. And so uh, the Black History Month that we celebrate is not meant to uh, shame or um, 
disrespect or make people feel bad. But Black History Month is designed to teach us and to educate us of the horrors that we all look back at and say that we don't ever want to live at that low level of humanity ever again. Um, slave masters, the descendants of slave masters, and the descendants of slaves, uh, we can look back and say to the, the descendants of the slave masters that you are not your ancestors. And to celebrate the fact that you have experienced a spiritual evolution as human beings to now act differently in the world. This is, it, it should not be viewed as hurting uh, the descendants of the slave masters and saying that, you know, this is painful. This is making me feel guilty, making me feel ashamed. Well, on the other hand, as descendants of, of slaves, we look at that condition, the hor horrific condition, and we say, uh, we survived that. We survived it. We're here today. So looking back should inform how we're going to act now and creating what we hope to experience on tomorrow. And our children and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren, they're depending upon us to know our history the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that the bad and the ugly will never be repeated again, but that we can improve on the good and continue yes, to grow as a, as a, as a national family uh, consisting of all shapes, colors, and hues, and all classes, and so forth and so on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. I think for me, as a white person, and realizing over this last several years how little of Black history we were taught in school, I am more aware during Black History Month these last few years of the resources that are more easily accessible to everyone because of Black History Month. And so I hope that, um, that all of us can uh, take advantage of the emphasis on Black history and and really look at new resources, learn new things, um, and then podcasts like this that help us as the church try to see how we can be brothers and sisters in Christ with this history and with this imagination for the future. So I really appreciate um, your thoughts on that, Dr. Taylor. That's really helpful. The next few questions come from Jamie Gorman from Johnson University. And, um, and I think they're good in this practical sense. And uh, so could you speak about where you think the church can continue working for racial justice and unity in 2024? I think the, the most important thing that churches and church leaders and church members um, will need to do, especially in restoration churches, is to reclaim a healthy doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think for quite some time, uh, the church has been functioning within its own power and has seen very little need to be empowered by the power that was given to the first century church that came from on high 
as they waited together and tarried together in the upper room, being in a posture of stillness in community together, listening, um, I think is going to be absolutely essential for uh, churches going forward in the year of 2024. And so um, I would say finding opportunities for people to get together and to appreciate uh, the movement and the working of the Holy Spirit and the American churches um, of this 21st century. Um, and the <clears throat> restoration heritage, we've always emphasized uh, restoring the New Testament pattern of worship, a pattern of worship, an external outward practice of worship. Very little have I heard growing up since the age of 12 years old uh, in Churches of Christ, an emphasis on restoring our connection to the same power that they had access to in the first century. That may explain why uh, efforts have not been as effective uh, and earth-shaking as they were in the first century. And so I think our need to explore more deeply, more seriously, uh, the role of the third person of the Trinity and what what is that role? Um, how can it impact the church today? I mean, the question should be set down in the context of the book of Revelation in terms of what the spirit has to say to the churches. It's certainly, the, the Holy Spirit certainly spoke to the churches of Asia Minor, <laughs> uh, the yeah. churches that are listed in the book of Revelation. Why, why did we ever conclude that the spirit stopped speaking to the churches. Maybe it maybe it never stopped speaking. Maybe we just have not allocated enough time to sit together in community and listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches. Uh, we, we've been listening too much to politicians, our favorite leaders, our favorite preachers, our, you name it, you name it, you name it. But what does the Holy Spirit, what has he got to say? Excuse my expression there, but what does he have to say to us in this moment? And can we practice the 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 art of sitting still um, and listening together in the moment of silence with the conscious awareness that we are in the divine presence of the one who is in charge of leading us, guiding us, teaching us, telling us what the next step is going to be? And we can't discern that in our human intellect, no matter how much education we got. We've tried the power of the mind, and we're more divided now than we've ever been before. The higher we go up in education, the more divided we become. <laughs> because we learn the thinking, the critical thinking skills, but we don't learn how to overcome our spirit of being critical. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can teach us how to do that in producing the first fruit that the Spirit produces, which is love. And we can't even have a conversation in the church today uh, because we're, we're producing strange fruit that's not coming from the production of the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, the uh, the fruit of disunity uh, is not from the Spirit of God. I, I I love what you just said about the power of the Holy Spirit of speaking into um, our current condition. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, Paul talked about the unity of the Spirit um, and the bond of peace. And if yes. we would listen to the Spirit, it would be an impossibility yes. for us to function in the disunity um, that we function in now. Um, because right. uh, the truth of that phrase is unity of the spirit means that the spirit is li- literally the possession. I'm sorry, that That's unity right. is literally the possession of the spirit. And That's so right. to function in disunity is to steal from God something that never belonged to us. Unity mm-hmm. is God's mm-hmm. possession. It is the possession yes. of the spirit of God. And if we would listen, uh, we could not function the way that we do. So thank you for pointing that out mm-hmm. just um, it, it just spoke to my spirit. And, uh, and so since we, uh, we, we're talking about power, let's talk about mm-hmm. the power of the gospel. Um, <laughs> now, if you haven't heard Jerry preach, uh, all y'all out there, he's talking all calm and nice and all of that. And sometimes when he preaches, he starts off calm and nice. But no matter how he starts, he ends with power. And I just, uh, just want to encourage you to hear uh, my big bro preach the gospel. But uh, <laughs> um, there's this debate about um, social issues and racial justice as it relates to the gospel. And uh, what do you mm. think? Um, what is your understanding of the relationship um, of the gospel and social issues and the gospel and racial justice um, mm. um, or even things like unity or um, equality or whatever? What is the relationship with our human condition and function with the gospel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the saints of old, and I, I'm referring specifically to the 18th and 19th century, and the and a portion, a good portion of the twentieth century, um, the saints of old recognized the importance of being the light of the world and not just the light of the church, or the light of the religious mm-hmm. world, or the light of a particular denomination. Um, they had a strong, strong faith and belief in the indwelling. Uh, presence of the Holy Spirit. And they took being the salt of the earth, literally. Uh, They were out front Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of dealing with alcoholism, um, moral teachings beyond uh, the church buildings. They had revival meetings. As a matter of fact, the political parties that we have today that have political rallies, they learn much of what they do today from revival meetings. They studied the revival meetings. And that's why a lot of uh, political campaign rallies today sound a lot like revival meetings. Um, But but what we had back then, we had circuit riders, we had preachers that were going among the the workers and the fields and the mines, uh, teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and being present. Um, if it had not been for those individuals who uh, realized that there was within them as a follower of Jesus Christ, the divine presence, a creative presence that 
unleashes creativity in our lives as we live in the human condition of which we're a part of, if it had not been for those those uh, human beings that were moved by something that was not of this world, we would not have a Methodist hospital. We would not have a Morehouse. We would not have a Harvard. We would not have a lot of the educational institutions today that now some of them look down upon uh, Christianity and look down upon those who talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Many of the social institutions that we have today grew out of people who had been touched by a divine finger that touched them from a realm that is higher than this human realm that we live in. And they turned the world upside down. And so there was the accusation, you know, that there's a social gospel, you know, and and, and they're moving to uh, take the focus off of God's will. But Jesus' ministry was very social. Um, and and I would like to relocate our description of it. It was not just social justice. It was social righteousness. Mm. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We dare not mm-hmm. seek the justice of God because none of us would survive his justice. We seek his mercy and we yes. seek his righteousness. So is it right for me? to care about another human being that's been left by the side of the road, robbed, beaten, and left half dead? Is it right for me to care about that person Mm -hmm. to where I would step into the vicinity of danger on his or her behalf and not check to see uh, what political party he or she might be a a member of? It's a human being. It's a human being. And is it right for me to care about that person, even if I don't know their background or their name? So I think we talk about getting involved in social issues. We have to ask the question, what do we mean when we say social? I think we need to ask instead, should we get involved in righteousness issues? You know, Mm. should I care about what is right for my neighbor? regardless of their background or their foreground, should I be concerned about how I should act rightly or righteously towards my human neighbor, who is an offspring of uh, the spiritual father of all creation? And so, um, you know, we've been given the mandate to be the light of the world. How can you be a lighthouse and not touch every element that is intended to be illuminated by that light? (laughs) A lighthouse is not a lighthouse unless the lighthouse is giving off some light that's not discriminating with who gets the light. The sun doesn't discriminate, neither the rain. (laughs) So that's that's our, our father's nature. So. Yeah, let me unpack the world uh, in the name of Jesus. Let him do his work through me um, in the human condition, in the human context of which I'm a part. And let it be called social, if you will. But I would say underneath that social is spiritual. Mm. 
Yes, See, it's sir. not social activism. It's spiritual activism that finds its origin underground in that divine reservoir of the being of the Holy Spirit that makes the works holy, that emerge from underground above ground. See, this this is my, uh, uh, I think this is my, I've been on podcasts uh, in your seat. I've been in the hot seat, but uh, I haven't been in this seat. And so I, I'm I'm struggling over here because I want, you know, if I was at church, I'd like preach, right? But we, it's a podcast. So should I say stream? I, I don't know what to say. But uh, yes, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, and, you know, as you're talking, Dr. Taylor, I'm just thinking, you know, you, you make it, you make me feel like it's so simple. And then yet everything feels so complicated, but mm. really you, you're speaking in a way I think that we as the church need to hear, like strip everything down to how we love our neighbors, you know, how like social is spiritual and all those things that I, I really resonate with that. And um, yeah, I'm like you, Rudy. I just want to be like, amen. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> you know, it's just, and I'm sure our listeners yeah. too, like it, like it feels like a word from a word from God in, in these, in this conversation. Yeah. Well, I am so inspired by this conversation and I don't want it to end. And I'm sure our listeners are in the same boat with us that we just want to continue this conversation. So we are, this is going to be part one of a two part series. And I think after listening to episode one, the title of Embracing Memory and Imagination would be appropriate for what Dr. Taylor's been sharing with us today. So we're going to break here and come back for part two next week. And in the meantime, we ask you to share our vision to create and support gatherings of unity-minded Christians around the globe. Imagine the good news of these gatherings modeling the prayer of Jesus in our divided world. You can help us by giving us feedback on the Common Grounds Unity Facebook page. You can find the link in the show notes. We really do want your feedback, suggestions. We want to be in conversation uh, with you guys because that is part of our mission. Um, If you're benefiting from this ministry, then we ask you to consider making a monthly donation to support the work at www.commongroundsunity.org front slash donate. Until next time, go get a cup of coffee or share a meal with a Christian outside of your particular tribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn about who we are and to find gatherings in your area. You can also subscribe to our monthly digital newsletter, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. If you benefit from this ministry, please consider a monthly donation by going to www.commongroundsunity.org donate. Until next time, God bless and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.